0: Hi, my name is Brenna Patel, and I am a part of the Mint Hill Community Group. And this morning's reading comes from Genesis chapter 45, verses 16 through 28, and chapter 26, verses 1 through 4. The news soon reached Pharaoh's palace. Joseph's brothers have arrived. Pharaoh and his officials were all delighted to hear this. "'Pharaoh said to Joseph, "'Tell your brothers, this is what you must do. "'Load your pack animals and hurry back to the land of Canaan. "'Then get your father and all of your families and return here to me. "'I will give you the very best land in Egypt, "'and you will eat from the best that the land produces.'" Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, take wagons from the land of Egypt to carry your little children and your wives and bring your father here. Don't worry about your personal belongings for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So the sons of Jacob did as they were told. Joseph provided them with wagons as Pharaoh had commanded and gave them supplies for the journey. And he gave them each or he gave each of them new clothes. But to Benjamin, he gave five changes of clothes and 300 pieces of silver. He also sent his father 10 male donkeys loaded with the finest products of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other supplies he would need on his journey. So Joseph sent his brothers off, and as they left, he called after them, "'Don't quarrel about all this along the way.'" And they left Egypt and returned to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. Joseph is still alive, they told him, and he is governor of all the land of Egypt. Jacob was stunned at the news. He couldn't believe it. But when they repeated to Jacob everything Joseph had told them, and when he saw the wagons Joseph had sent to carry him, their father's spirits revived. Then Jacob exclaimed, It must be true. My son Joseph is alive. I must go and see him before I die. So Jacob set out for Egypt with all his possessions. And when he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. During the night, God spoke to him in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he called. Here I am, Jacob replied. I am God, the God of your father, the voice said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make your family into a great nation. I will go with you down to Egypt, and I will bring you back again. You will die in Egypt, but Joseph will be with you to close your eyes. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, Christ Central. Thank you, Brenna. Um, I don't know what you got going on full-time, Brennan, but you could easily read Scripture like on, you have a YouTube channel and everything, you know? <laughs> They're just, man, I mean, you know, to bring her voice home to, to the kids and everything, that would be awesome. Um, yeah, 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 you got, you got something going on there. You got a calling or something. I don't anyway. Um, but thank you. Thank you for reading the word to us this morning. Um, like many of you this morning when I got up, I was like, it is, how cold is it? Uh, what's going on here? It's like winter's last stand right now. Uh, And you know, I what I appreciate about what we're going through right now is that the seasons are like limitations for us, right? And it reminds us that we can't just live our lives any way that we want to. uh, That uh, we have to find some way to be able to live within the boundaries of of these different seasons, right? And of course, it's different places, different parts of the world. But at least here where we are, uh, as we we're waiting for winter to disappear and spring to come in, we we're forced to slow down for a second and change the way that we do things. And that's good for us. Right? Be, studies have shown that as human beings have tried to live beyond their limits, they begin to suffer more from anxiety, uh, even depression, and all kinds of different things. Um, but uh, these limitations also remind us that God cares for us, that he is with us, uh, that he has an intention for our lives. So I, I embrace these limitations, even with a little bit of grumbling, because I've, I was enjoying the nice warm temperatures, um, just like many of you. And But it's coming. It's coming. And, uh, and and speaking of seasons changing, Easter is also on the way. Easter is coming. And as we, uh, you know, our, our pastors here talked about, and elders that talked about uh, what, what way that we could prepare ourselves for Easter as it approaches. And one of the things that we decided to do was to uh, have this new sermon series in which we're talking about echoes of Jesus in the Old Testament. How does the old, what are things that we can learn from the Old Testament that prepare us for the life in the ministry of Jesus, to show us more about what he came to do, what he came to accomplish for the world and for his people. And so we started this series by looking at the patriarchs. And the patriarchs were those Individuals that, uh, as we read through the Old Testament, they were the ones that the Lord used to um, to continue to progress, make progress in the kingdom of God on earth as He was moving from Genesis and we're moving all the way to Revelation. And uh, they were the, the fathers of the biblical faith. Now we could easily do a sermon series also about the matriarchs of the faith, and as in a lot of ways, um, both are assumed when we're talking about the patriarchs. But this morning. I wanted to do, as you have already heard, focus on a particular patriarch of the faith, and that is Joseph. And sort of like as a sidebar, you kind of get a little bit of Moses in this as well. You heard from uh, Elder Mike Moore this morning about his, his love for the life of Moses and the ways that the Lord has just revived his heart and learned more from him. And I think we're going to hear a little bit about Moses this morning as well. Um, and the, the way that I think we're going to get there is by looking a little bit at the background of this text. And so, um, what you've heard already is about the life of Joseph, but one of the things that we need to remember that I think is key in reading this text is uh, when it was written and who wrote it. Now, traditionally, we have, uh, with the scholars have, have uh, agreed that it is Moses who has given to us this text. Moses is the one who gave us the stories of the patriarchs that we read in the book of Genesis and onward. And so uh, and when he had given this text, and we know this from his life, that Moses did not make it into the Promised Land for a couple of reasons, which I will not outline right now, but he was, uh, as to, so if he had written these things, he would have had to have written them and distributed them to his people before he died. So the, his original audience then are the people of God as they were traveling through the wilderness. And this is pretty interesting because what you have just read is something uh, of what is described for the people of God, for Jacob and his sons, is very different from what the people of God experienced when they were in the wilderness. If you read these different details, you see that there's almost an extreme contrast between their two different lives. Now, mind you that as Moses was with the people walking through the wilderness, we know that they were, we read in, in Joseph that there was, oh, that there, you, wow, there used to be a lot of blessing in Egypt, but with Moses and his people, they had experienced slavery in Egypt. And as Moses is, uh, is sharing these stories with his people, they had only been freed from that slavery for about 20 years, only just a couple of decades. And so and while they're in the wilderness, right, they're far from the land of their fathers. They were far away from Canaan where Jacob had come from, and how were they supposed to get there? How did they get there? Well, we know this from reading, uh, from reading Exodus, that God delivered them. He delivered them with his right hand and brought his people out of Egypt through many signs and through much power. But Egypt, as we have already heard this morning, was actually once a good home for the people of God. Egypt used to be a place of flourishing for them, but it turned into a place of hopeless oppression. These people were stuck. They were stuck in Egypt simply because of their ethnicity. God heard their cry, and he delivered them through uh, sending plagues. He did a face-off against the gods of Egypt, and, and then he also delivered them through the Red Sea. And so this this audience then had heard heard about these things and heard about how God had delivered their parents out of slavery, and then here they are in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. This first generation of immigrants and their children had to cope, however, with post-traumatic stress, what we would call today, right, some form of PTSD. And then I was reminded um, recently over the past couple of weeks that when we speak about, trauma that is very different from pain. It involves pain, but it is different. We kind of throw the term trauma around a lot these days. And, you know, well, I didn't get to have lucky charms for dinner. That's traumatic. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Right. Um, You know what? What's going on? You know, I have to sit in traffic again on 77. This is traumatic. Well, no, it's not. Um, you know, it might be painful, you may be struggling, but that is not trauma. Um, traditionally speaking, and of course you can talk to some of our therapists in the room, but trauma has more to do with pain that then becomes an obstacle to your development, right? Or perception of that pain that becomes an obstacle to your development, whether that's emotionally, socially, spiritually, or so on, right? Uh, and so usually those things have to be, uh, can be dealt with through therapeutic intervention but um, so that the the people of God I'm arguing here as they're hearing this story that you just heard this morning uh, from from Moses as, as they're in the wilderness that they were probably suffering many of them from some kind of trauma we know this because if you read the accounts of the people as they're about to enter into the promised land they send out spies right and the spies come back, and they go, the people of Canaan were like giants. Like, really? Like, a, like what are you talking about? Right? The, their fears were exaggerated. Something was going on in their hearts where they saw people who looked just like them, and they thought they were giants. Something is wrong emotionally. Right? And they had been freed from darkness, freed from slavery in Egypt, but they, hadn't, they were not completely free just yet. Right? And, and so they, uh, but I, they must have been many people during this time who thought, man, we would not be in this spot where we are struggling emotionally as we're moving towards something that, that we believe that God is moving us toward. We would not even be struggling right now if we had not ever gone to Egypt. We wouldn't even be in this mess right now if it hadn't been for our forefathers being in Egypt. But the people, as they're suffering from the tensions of life, standing at the precipice of hope, but being held down by their fears, they, they, must have, they, they needed to hear and get some, get some answers as to why they were in that spot. And so it must have been a relief to them It must have been at some level to finally get some answers as Moses retold the story of their ancestors. Again, in chapter 46, um, verses 3 and 4, let me get to it myself. This is what the Lord says. This is what he reveals through Moses, right? Uh, As Jacob is is called aside by the Lord, and in verse 3 he says, the Lord says to Jacob, I am God. The God of your father, the voice said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make your family into a great nation. I will go with you down to Egypt, and I will bring you back again. You will die in Egypt, but Joseph will be with you to close your eyes. They were in this spot, this tension of life, because God had made a promise to them. That's a lot to handle, but there's more, and we're going to address that this morning. But how, how do we embrace the tensions of life? I don't, I don't, I don't mean like just, just leave it alone, try to escape from it. How do we actually embrace it? How do we engage with this world? How do you go on after being traumatized by the realities of life? What are you supposed to do? How am I going to love again if my heart has been broken? Uh, how, How can I appreciate food again after I've been freed from gluttony? How can I build a family and be committed to building a home after I have suffered abuse, maybe in my own childhood? Like Egypt, there are many good things in this world. Good things in this world that can be turned into enslaving realities due to our own choices, sometimes, or circumstances beyond our control. But if you've been set free, set free through Christ, then you can truly give yourself to this world. One of my um, my mentors, uh, Steve Garber, has this question, and maybe I've, I've shared this question in here before. I love this question, it's great, which is, can you see the world, scratch that, can you know the world as it truly is and still love it? Isn't that a good question? Can you know the world as it truly is? Not not with like the blinders on, but can you know it as it truly is and yet still love it? Right? Or when you see it as it is, are you tempted to try to run away from it, to withdraw, or do, you just, uh, or do you just want to assimilate, kind of fade into the background, just become a part of all the madness that's happening? Or do you try to, like, gird up your loins and grab all your best weapons and such and dominate the thing, right? Um, what options lie before you? So Moses' people, as they're in the wilderness, and this based on what... We, how we see them respond to the Canaanites is before they go in. They were, they're tempted to actually withdraw from the world as they see it as it is. So to his people, Moses says, do not be discouraged by what you've been through. Don't let it tear you down. There's something that you should know. And there's these three things I kind of, good old, Presbyterian pastor, I got three points, but there's, a, there's three, three things I want to kind of pull out here from the text. Some things that the people of God should remember as they face the tensions, the realities of life. Remember that you are actually being shaped, right? God is at work. Remember also that, that there was much to God's promise, more than you could ever imagine. God's promise isn't over. When we think it is, he ain't done. And, the, and the, this last point is, is that there is a promise keeper. There is a promise keeper. In the text this morning, we can see that God is shaping his people again in chapter 46. If you look at verse 2 with me, he says this. It is written, during the night, God spoke to him, Jacob, in a vision, Jacob, Jacob, he called. Here I am, Jacob replied. I am God, the God of your father. The voice said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will do what? I will make your family into a great nation. He's shaping them. I will make your family into a great nation. Now, if you recall, as you've read through the book of Genesis, if you've read through it before, This isn't the first time that God has made this promise. But he made this promise to Jacob's grandfather, to Abraham. And he told Abraham, and he said, he said, come out of the land of your father and go to the land that I will show you, right? And I will make of you a great nation. And he told him that, you know, look at the stars of the skies, you cannot count them. And that is just how many descendants I will give you. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And I will and I will make them a blessing to the nations. So this is this is like this is an old promise that God had made uh, to Abraham, and He's repeating it again to Jacob, showing him that He is faithful and that what He has promised, He will fulfill. But He's telling them that, that you are about to your your people. I'm bringing them down into Egypt so that they will be your family will be shaped into this nation. This is how I will. Fulfill my promise to you. So before they went down into Egypt, they were simply like more like, not, not like a, a large city, because when they, by the time they had come out of Egypt, they had multiplied, right, into just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. But, but, but Jacob and his family was more like, more like a small town of folks, right, just a network of relatives and their employees who were living together. So they were very small at this time. And, they call, and God calls them down, and, but, he, but he's showing them that he's going to fulfill his promise, the promise that he made to Abraham. But he's taking baby steps to do it. Right? God is not in a hurry. Right? And that can frustrate us sometimes, but we need to remember that God is not in a hurry. But he's always at work. And So we watch this story, and we see what's happening. We're looking at Jacob, and we see what's going on with his family, and then all of a sudden, there's a famine. So now the promise is threatened. What is God going to do? And he calls out to Jacob, and he says, Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make of your family a great nation. And he calls out to Jacob through his son. And I won't get into all the specifics here, but if you go back into Genesis And you read even more the background of Joseph and his relationship to his father. This is a beautiful thing to hear from his son. I mean, he even said in the text that that we just heard this morning, that Jacob's heart, his spirits were revived because he heard that his his son, who he thought was dead, is now alive. And so Joseph is the one who sends word. And he says, I want you, Daddy, to come bring the, the relatives, as Pharaoh says, bring them, send them down here. Come on down to Egypt. And he knows that if you, Daddy, if you don't come down here, if you don't come here with the family and with everybody else that's with you, you all are going to be dead in the streets within five years. But I have the opportunity to rescue you. I have the opportunity. Dad, you can't stay home. I know you're comfortable there. I know it's like it's, it's what you're used to and you've got everything in its right place and all the, all the things that make you feel like um, um, stable, but it's, it's about to be ruined. You can't stay home. You need to come out or there will be no great nation. I'm calling you out, Dad, by the word of God so that his promise might be fulfilled. And so they brought down into Egypt to grow as god has promised so that the descendants would increase and when they came to egypt oh what blessing what blessing right? they didn't have to go through the back door you know pharaoh wasn't like you guys are second class citizens you know that way right they didn't have to do that they didn't have to move into the red line section of egypt but you read, you read the, you read the, the, the text, and it, it was, it was blessing. They were given the, the, land where they were, they were blessed beyond measure. Right? And then, uh, you know, and, and they actually got a piece of the Egyptian pie. Right? So you look again at in chapter forty-five. What are we told? Verse sixteen, it says this: The news soon reached Pharaoh's palace. And how does he respond? Right, The the news comes out. Joseph's brothers have arrived just before his his, his dad comes down. And Pharaoh and his officials were all delighted to hear this. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, this is what you must do. Load your pack animals and hurry. Don't be slow. Hurry back to the land of Canaan. Then get your father and all of your families and return here to me. I will give you the very best land in Egypt and you will eat from the best that the land produces. Uh, And and, and then uh, this, this is amazing that Pharaoh responds this way to Joseph and his family. They get the red carpet as they're brought into Egypt. This is, but God is shaping them. God is shaping them. What was used Pharaoh was used to dominating others. He was a man of much power, used to dominating people in a world that is filled with harsh realities. But that is not what he does in this instant because God had decided to use Pharaoh to give his people favor. The God of Israel has sent a vision. Remember this? And Joseph had interpreted his vision for Pharaoh. And then, uh, and then Joseph didn't say, okay, I'm going to try to, like, arrest some power in this. God is using me to bless Pharaoh. Like, no, uh, he, he steps aside. He's humble. Okay? Joseph steps aside because Joseph is about serving the name of God and not his own. He was about promoting God's name and not promoting himself. And then uh, he he paid attention. We heard the word earlier in Tyson's uh, testimony, uh, attune, right? Joseph was attuned to God. He He was paying attention to God who was inviting him into the details of what was going on behind the scenes in Egypt. And because of that, he was able to Reimagine his use of power in response to these dreams. Right? Uh, if you look at Joseph's story, these dreams that he kept getting from God, he was able to reimagine the, the use of power of turning things upside down. Right? Uh, this is, this is uh, amazing. Like, again, the, the point here is that Joseph now, like, God is blessing his people in this land in Egypt through Joseph because Joseph was able to reimagine the use of power through his right relationship to God. How do we do with love? How do we do with money? Are we able, are we attuned to God in such a way that we can reimagine our use of those things or reimagine our use of food Are we able to see God's vision for the good things of this world? Are we able to reimagine their use in response to God's revelation? What had been revealed to Joseph changed his outlook on things. And his response was instead of becoming domineering and dominating, like as was the way of the world, he exalted the Lord instead of himself. And as a result of that, God was at work changing the heart of Pharaoh so that his people would be blessed. But when we presume to ultimately know the difference between good and evil, we are not able then to reimagine our relationships to one another, our relationships to the environment according to God's word, but more simply according to our own reasoning. And that's how we get into trouble. That's how we end up being enslaved in Egypt. Right? The future Pharaoh, as we learn later on in Genesis, he embraces what you could call sort of these Machiavellian ethics. Right? He, uh, he, he, he wants to subdue all threats to his power. And if you read that story again, you know, what does he do? Uh, he, he had actually enacted some kind of movement of population control. He says, wait, wait, he begins to look around. And he says, wait a minute, these Hebrews, there's just too many of them, right? They're going to outnumber us and take over this country. We've got to do something about this. And what, what does he do? He begins an infanticide. He begins killing infants. You remember this? Right? And, and, so, uh, and, and, and then he also enslaves the people. This is completely different than God's way of using power. But somehow, God is shaping his people through this. So then uh, he had forgotten, this Pharaoh had forgotten that the welfare of his very nation belonged to the God of all creation. Not to himself, not to his genius, not to his abilities, but to the God who had brought these Hebrews into his land. And so the, the people of God had become oppressed by their ruler. And they were placed on the margins of society, even though their God was the creator of the universe. The Pharaoh was about his name, and not God's name. So the descendants of Israel's sons however, were not to be that kind of people. They were not to be the kind of people who take their power and lord it over others, enslaving them, doing to them whatever they wanted to, whenever they felt like it. They were not to behave this way. They were just becoming of those who are the people of God. And now they would have 400 years of history To show them why they should not live that way. 400 years to become the kind of people who would be a great nation and not only that but a blessing to all nations rather than an oppressor of all nations. God was at work changing his people so that they would be a blessing to the world and therefore fulfill his promise. I mean, look, if you're you can't, you're not blessing if you're oppressing, right? It's just, you know, if you're busy oppressing people, that's, just, that's not helping them out. Right? And, and yet, each of us can sometimes find ourselves in a dark place, a place in which we feel like we are oppressed. It might be a terrible relationship. When in that terrible relationship, you would be challenged to learn how to love others. And that dark place may be a broken home, but if, uh, if that's me, if I'm in this broken home, you would be challenged then to learn how to develop a hospitality for your neighbors. That dark place might be a lost promotion, right? I mean, you just, you come, you've come up against that glass ceiling one too many times. You, you have been passed over by the person who didn't deserve to have that, but they were given preference for some unjust reason, and that's a dark place. It feels oppressive. How, how will I be challenged in that? How can I be shaped in the middle of that? Well, well, you might become someone who, through that situation, now has a heart for equity and now has a heart to be attentive to those that you have charge over. You are being shaped in the dark places of life. God is at work. You know, and then there's like this, um, this other sort of obvious lesson for the people of God as they look back on this. Don't trust Egypt, right? Just don't do it. Uh, you kind of know how they are, right? Uh, I mean, you know, just, just don't. But good things easily become snares, When we do that, right, good things easily become snares when we uh, allow ourselves to descend into fear, and we no longer trust, um, can put any amount of trust in any kind of person or institution, not the trust that belongs to God, but just basic trust, when we just start cutting stuff off, you know, because I've just been hurt too many times, this is just too bad, I can't. Forget marriage, forget friendship, forget relationships, forget the church, forget schools, forget government. I'm done with all that. And we, 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 and we then get ourselves caught into snares because we're going to look for something else. And we'll find then that we, be, that we give our allegiance to some other good thing for our identity and for our future but we can still become enslaved to that. Codependency, addiction, hoarding, stealing, adultery, extortion, revenge, on and on and on the list goes, right? These are the kinds of snares that have caused you and I to cry out to God, that our hearts have lifted their voice to the heavens. And for many of us, we can even testify this day that God has delivered us, that God has delivered us from some of these snares in our lives, and that we, like Israel, are being shaped to worship God, to worship him alone, and to be a blessing to this world. God is at work in the dark places. So in a sense... In a very real sense, if God is at work with us in these dark places, if he is, in fact, shaping us and changing our hearts and making us into a people who will be a blessing to others, then we are free, but not yet. There's this tension. We still live in this reality that is filled with toil and filled with sin, and what are we supposed to do about that? But hang on. God ain't done yet. His promise is not over. Look with me again in chapter 46, in verse four. The Lord said this to Jacob. He said, I will go with you down to Egypt. And then he said, get this, I will bring you back again. You will die in Egypt. Whoa, what? But Joseph will be with you To close your eyes. What is going on there? Wait, so Jacob, how how is God going to bring Jacob back to Canaan, to the promised land, if he dies? Is is God trying to trick him? What what is going on here? All right, I'm going to hold that in the back of your mind because we're going to I'm going to go like this and come right back to it. Okay, so remember this that God also promised to Abraham and to his people, again, he says, he says, I, I will be their God and they will be my people, right? And that I will cause them to be a blessing to the nations and, I, and they will do it through this particular land, this land that they would then have and it would be up to them to cultivate it and to keep it, right? And, and as you look at these people in the wilderness, going back to now fast-forwarding to Moses, the people who are hearing this story they're in the wilderness. What's happening? The descendants of Jacob are in the wilderness. What is happening with them? Well, they're heading back to the promised land, just like God has promised. The seed of Jacob was on their way back. God was already fulfilling his promise. And he said He said, He said, said to Jacob, I'm going to go with you down to Egypt, and I will bring you back to this land. Well, what do you see when you're looking at the people in the wilderness? They're not alone, but they're with the tabernacle. God himself is present with his people in the wilderness, leading them back to the land, just as he had promised Jacob in these verses. The descendants of Israel's sons were not called to walk through this world alone, and neither are you. Yeah, we may be free, but not yet, because the world is still harsh, but God has promised to be with us. He said to Jacob, when you're in Egypt and your, your children are in Egypt, I am with you. Right? God is not tied to Canaan. He wasn't going to be left back there while Jacob and his sons moved on into a foreign country. But he said, I will go with you. It is good to know that no matter where you are in life and no matter where you are in this world, that God is near. Amen. But God is with you. He is no local deity that is tied to one particular ethnicity, giving them preference over other nations and groups. He's not tied to one particular nation or country so that they have favor or an exceptional and everybody else just gets the, the dregs. No, God is present everywhere with his people at all times through all ages. He promises to go with you. God is with us. The Lord of all creation cares for his entire world. The whole world, as the song says, is in his hands. Hey, and then he's, he sends, he's now beginning to, as He shaped his people, he's now like beginning to unfold more of his promise, where he's helping the people of God. He's shaping them now, and he's unfolding his promise. They are now becoming his priests, a nation of, of priests, right? People who are learning how to always pray. Oh, Lord, this, oh, Lord, how how long, right? We, the people of God pray because of the struggles that we still go through. Uh, We are learning how to pray at all times, and we intercede not just for ourselves and our loved ones, but also for the world, right? No matter where we are. And you look again at these people, the people of God who are walking through the wilderness, they are like traumatized wanderers. They don't have a land yet, but they do have hope because they're on their way to the promise. You know, this is like like a no-brainer. It's, it's pretty hard to establish any kind of civilization if you're nomadic, right? If you're, how are you going to like set up museums and, you know, stable government and all that kind of stuff if you're always moving about. It's just impossible. But if you have a land, you've got stability. And that shows favor for a people. It shows favor for a nation. You're able to build something. And so here we are, during this era of the patriarchs, where we see a people who were formerly enslaved. They're now realizing that one day that they will be God's instrument for godly world blessings. They will be the instrument that will begin to create a new culture, a new society that will change the entire world. And God is bringing them to a land so that they'll be able to do that. Who they are, right? Who they are. That is, the people of God, their identity, and the fact that God is with them will begin to permeate everything. It will begin to permeate politics and sex and the arts and architecture and commerce and hospitality and immigration and law and homemaking and farming and even relief for the poor. Yet this is nothing short, speaking of God's promise now for his people, this is nothing short of a vision for a new humanity, a new humanity, a nation of royal priests offering themselves, offering God to the world and the world back to God. The people of Israel were on their way to their destiny. And so are we, church. We are on our way, but we're not there yet. What we get right now are just glimpses, but God is with us, I mean, is it, you know, even as I say this, right, there's a certain uh, air of, can be like an air of triumphalism to it, right, it kind of feels like, oh yeah, you know, uh, his truth is marching on, right, that kind of deal, right, and we're sort of, you know, like, oh yeah, right, uh, you know, God is with us, we got this, well, hang on a second, because we know that in our history, recent or distant, that while the church may sometimes be a part of the solution. The church can sometimes be a part of the problem, right? We've made really good efforts for reconciliation and for justice of all kinds, but we have all, and we've been fruitful, but we've also been frustrated by our failure. The evil is still present within us, and it is present outside of us and around us Right? And there are times when the people of God are all about God's name, and there are times when the people of God are all about our own. What do we do? How do we respond to that tension that we feel inside of us? Right? We've been set free, but not yet. There's tensions in the world, but then there's still tension inside of us. And we, we see, even from Joseph's story and from what's happening with Jacob, that That God is shaping us and that that, that God has a promise and he means to fulfill it, but we've still got some things that we have to wrestle with. If we see ourselves as we really are, can we still love? As we see the church as it really is, can we still love her? As we see the world as it truly is, can we still love it? Or are we going to withdraw Or are we going to just try to assimilate and not try to make a difference? Or will we just go, all right, I'm going to muster everything that I have and just take this whole thing over and dominate it? Can we see the world and ourselves and the church as it truly is and still love it? How in the world are we supposed to get there? Because if you take the stance of triumphalism, like, man, I've got this, and it's, it's in our hands, you are setting yourself up for a world of hurt, right? um, So here's what we need to remember. Chapter 45, verse 16, it says this. The news soon reached Pharaoh's palace. Joseph's brothers have arrived. Pharaoh and his officials were all delighted to hear this. They were all delighted to hear this. There's a promise keeper, there's someone who keeps the promise for us. We've been called to multiply. We've been called to cultivate the places that are around us, and we're to do it for God's glory, and we're to do it for the common good, and it is a call that is given to us that is older than Abraham. You think back to Genesis chapter 2, where you see Adam and Eve, this same call was given to them. The call to be a royal priesthood Is for every single human being. And then God was beginning to shape this nation of royal priests. And then He invites them to join in the recovery of humanity by word and by the way of life. But what, or rather who, would secure our redemption? Who would be able to hold God's promise for us? For Jacob had depended on his son, Joseph, in order to receive the promise, right? The sons of Israel couldn't do it. If we read their stories, like Reuben couldn't do it, Judah couldn't do it. Man, Judah, wow. Read about Judah and Tamar, right? Well, I mean, we already had a sermon on that, but just, right? And it's just like, these, these, they couldn't do it. They depended on Joseph, but first they had to, he was the first among his family to go down to Egypt, and he went down because he was betrayed by his brothers, but he lived a righteous life, and he kept loving others, even though he was persecuted, even through his pain, he remembered his dreams, he remembered the things that he received from God, so he didn't assimilate to the, he didn't assimilate to the rabble and the mess around him, right? He didn't sleep with Potiphar's wife. He had the opportunity. He didn't slander that cupbearer who forgot him. He didn't say, man, all right, you know, I can't believe he did this to me. I've got to find some way to get back at him. Right? And then when God elevated him to be the warden of that prison, did he kind of become like that warden from the Shawshank Redemption. You know, remember that guy? Just like that little beady-eyed dude you know, walking around with his Bible, you know, just Bible thumb. He, that guy was terrible. Right? So, but no, no, Joseph didn't become like that. Right? He, he remained faithful even when he had his power. Why? Because God was with him. If it wasn't for Joseph, Pharaoh and his servants would have cared less about some Hebrews that lived up in the suburbs, you know, up there in Canaan somewhere, right? I mean, this is Egypt, one of the most powerful nations in the world. But they would have all died if God's plan of redemption hadn't been at work through Joseph. And Faithful Joe kept going. He kept doing what he needed to do. But he was only able to do it for a time, because soon Joseph died. And then after Joseph died, recall the history. He raised up Moses. He raised up Joshua. He raised up Samuel. He raised up David. And guess what? All of them died. <laughs> so God's, God's people will remember their call, okay, even as these patriarchs were alive, that that The people would remember their call to be a royal nation of priests, and then they would give in to the tensions of life, right? And, then, uh, so, so, and, and these are all the children of Israel. Not a one of them was able to secure the promise that God had made to his people and through them the world. Is there a son of Israel who could keep God's promises for us? Is there a son of Israel that could secure God's work of redemption for his people and for the world? The writer of his gospel, Matthew, tells us this this startling story. The startling story of a person's childhood. Matthew chapter 2. Verse 13, speaking of Jesus and his family, he says that after the wise men, the magi, were were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, right? Uh, So God, you already see here that God had given a dream to another Joseph, the father of Jesus. And he says this, he says, get up, flee to Egypt. With the child and his mother, the angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. So look at this. Uh, Like the, the pharaoh of Moses' childhood, Herod responds violently. He, 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 he creates an edict that, uh, that, uh, that creates an infanticide. He begins killing boys, toddlers, babies, the holy innocents, right? Uh, and, and so people are wailing throughout the land because of this, this tragedy and this, sort of, this infanticide and this is all happening because this person uh, had, had heard about something. This king had heard about something that's going on in Bethlehem, and he rejected God's king. And it's sort, of, sort of like the irony of the situation. Now, now this situation is happening, right? Not in Egypt, but it's happening in Israel, right? In God's land, this stuff is going on. Right? And and but, Jesus and his mother and his father end up seeking political asylum among the very people who enslaved his ancestors. Jesus was rejected by his own people as he is by us. When we ignore his rule, when we don't like what it might mean for our present or for our future, when we reject him, we do the same thing We wrestle, Lord, if I trust you, if I trust you with my failures, will I I fail again? Lord, if I trust you, will I get my heart broken again? If I trust you, will my competition beat me again? If I trust you, will I get sick again? I don't know about giving my all to Jesus. There is no redemption however, without receiving God on his terms. But Jesus went down to Egypt for us. Not only did he go down to another country, but he went down to the cross at the hands of Jews and non-Jews. He went into Egypt representing us Those who are enslaved to sin, the man who knew no sin, went into Egypt, and God called him out. And the Son of God called out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you see how much God loves humanity? Do you see how much God loves you? What God has promised will take place. Because of Jesus, the true son of Israel, the true son of Jacob, the better Joseph, because of the son of God, he was the one who was rejected that we might know God's committed love for us forever, not only in the tensions of this life, but also in the life to come. Jesus rose from the dead. We'll celebrate that here on Easter. Jesus rose, and he assumed his role as, as king over heaven and earth, and in him we will also rise to finally become royal priests in his presence in a new creation. Meanwhile, Emmanuel, God is with us. We don't need to withdraw. We don't need to just give in to the, the deaf dealing cultures of this world and assimilate, and we don't need to try to dominate the whole deal. But if God is with us, then we can know that he cares for us, especially right when in those times when we sort of get that physical response, as it were, from the trauma that we've experienced from this this world that is broken. If we remember that God is with us and that we have a promise keeper, then we can engage this world. We can be attentive to God and learn how to hold our plans loosely. And as we do that, then we together as God's people can work using our skill sets and using our talents and even using our pain and our trauma through a lot of care and through healing that comes over time. We can begin to pursue proximate peace and we can pursue proximate justice and we can pursue Proximate friendship and proximate beauty and proximate love for a world that God loves with all of his heart and mind and soul and strength. We can commit ourselves to God's name and not our own because Jesus will redeem everything in his time. If we'll just hold on and wait for our Lord and see what he might do. God never disappoints. He never does. Joseph's family could testify to that. And then, then, you know, his family, they had to leave behind their goods. How tough must that have been? You know, they left behind their achievements, their own sense of security to follow him in order to live and to bless the world. And sisters and brothers, that is what we are called to do. To leave it behind so that we can live and be a blessing to the world. This is the way that it must be for all those who would enter into the real tension, the unpredictable Egypt of life with Jesus Christ. The one who delivers us from famine and from slavery with his very life. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, you know that in our lives we struggle with many things that seek to enslave us. And Lord, even as we struggle with the tensions of life, we begin at sometimes times to, to lose hope. But, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to help us to see you with us, near us, fighting with and for us. And, God, not for us alone, but for our neighbors and for this world that you love. God, would you lead us in the paths of healing, lead us beside still waters. Lord, reveal yourself again to be our good shepherd, the one who cares for his sheep and is willing to lay down his life for them. And Lord, as you do that, we pray that our hearts will be changed, that our desires to respond to the worries and the cares of this life in so many wrong and terrible ways, that our, our desire to do those would just would, would melt away and we would be consumed with a new desire to make your name great, to, to magnify your name, even in the midst of our pain and in of our struggles and in the struggles of those that we are witnessing around us. God, you have the power to do it. Lord, would you dominate us by your grace? Would you help us to assimilate to Jesus, the one who entered into Egypt to set us free so that we might live with you and with him by the power of your Holy Spirit now and forever. Thank you, God, for the high calling of being a nation, a royal nation of priests whom you have called, O God, to offer you to the world that you love and to offer this world back to you. Help us to do it, God, not according to our goodness and our strength, but according to your might and your glory and your love, your sacrifice, your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.